Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. And so we're going to be looking at each gospel. And it's interesting because some people ask the question, why are there four? Like, why do we need four different people telling this story? And the reason is, is because each author has a different perspective and a different personality and a different purpose. They have different perspectives because they're all individuals, right? They're not all the same person. And they, they have different personalities. If you read the way they write, it's very different. Uh, John, as he writes his gospel, he's almost more poetic, whereas Luke's like the detail guy. So John writes not necessarily in order, but just kind of as he sees these themes through Jesus' ministry, whereas Luke writes, hey, I want you to see the details of what happens so you know it's true. But not only that, they write with a different purpose for their audience. And as we look at Matthew today, what's interesting about Matthew is that he's writing specifically for people who are Jewish. That's who he has in mind. Some of the other authors write for people who are not Jewish, but Matthew is writing specifically to people who are Jewish. He's trying to show them that Jesus is the expression of God's king. We know that in the Old Testament, David was the most famous king, right? And and what Matthew's trying to do is connect David to Jesus so that they can see that he is the continuation of God's story. You might have seen this put up on Instagram earlier this week where Matthew starts off with this genealogy and you're like, why is he telling us all these generations of people? Well, you see in the first line, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. And then we circled there and David, because he's really trying to show us and show his audience that Jesus is this culmination of the Jewish story. But not only that, he's trying to show his audience that Jesus is an authoritative teacher. Now, in the book of Matthew, there's more teaching from Jesus than any of the other gospels. And we know this the most famously from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which you'll read this week. We did a sermon series on that. Here's a Instagram from earlier this week where Matthew 6, and Jesus gives these commands, these teachings. And one of the things that Matthew wants his readers to see is that Jesus is now the authoritative teacher in the history of Israel for God. And so he includes a lot of teaching. But if you know the way that that book ends, the way that Matthew ends in chapter 28, Jesus ascends to heaven, And he says, all authority, that's king language, all authority has been given to me. Go out into all the world and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so what we're meant to see there is that God's story continues through us being disciples of Jesus. Like as we follow Jesus, that's the way God's story continues. So Matthew focuses a lot on discipleship. But where we jump in today is going to be chapter 9, verse 9. And um, it's a really personal story in a sense, because it's Matthew's story of how he met Jesus. So let's read this now together. I'm going to read from my Bible, Matthew 9, verse 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth or the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
And he got up and he followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of God. Change is messy. Anytime that we want to change something in our lives or we want to see other people change something in, our life, in their lives, it is messy. A while back, I was hiking with some friends through the English countryside. And in this part of the English countryside, it was very hilly. Not quite like the Rocky Mountains, um, but the hills were kind of extreme. In other words, it was actually hard to walk up them and walk down them because though they were hills, they were very steep. And I went hiking with my friends who were married and they had four children. And we spent the, the day kind of hiking around. It was beautiful. It was green and lush and it was just an amazing experience. But we realized that their children were tired and we had kind of gone too far. And so the two options we had were to turn around and go back the way we came or to navigate down this steep hill so that we could go into town and get lunch so the kids wouldn't get cranky. And we decided to go down the steep hill rather than going back down the gradual path. And their kids, they had two boys who were around 10. They had a little nine-month-old baby who was riding on her dad's back, but they had this four-year-old who was kind of old enough to walk on her own, but she could not navigate down the hill without a lot of help. And one part of the story that I didn't mention was that these dramatic hills were frequented by flocks of sheep. And so there was lots of landmines uh, everywhere. But we decided the best thing to do was to go down the hill. And as we were going down the hill pretty early on, this four-year-old child fell. She just fell over. And I won't describe it too much more than just saying the word splat. And it was gross. It was really, it was disgusting. And at that moment, um, I had some evaluating to do. Because I, um, I had helped these kids with some of their other messes. Like when they'd spilled milk in their home, I'd clean it up for them. Or they left their Legos out. I had helped them with that. But this was, this was a little different. And uh, as she was there crying covered in you-know-what, I kind of backed my way up a little bit so there would be no way that I had to do anything to help, you know? And as the parents kind of covered her and were trying to help her and calm her down and figure out what to do, they're trying to help her clean up. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay over here and I'm going to watch for wild beasts. I'll protect everybody from any wild beast that comes uh, but what she really needed in that moment was a dramatic change. Like, she needed to be completely changed. Now, I might have taken a T-shirt out of my backpack and been like, here, you can use that and just keep it afterwards. Um, but I think change 
is messy, right? This little girl covered in you know what had to be changed and her parents had to get involved. And as I think about that as a metaphor, I, I realize that change in our own life can be messy. There are areas of our life where we all want quality of life to be better. Like we might want a different job, we might want better stuff, we might want to make changes to our physique and going through that process is always messy. But I think even as we get even deeper, where it's not just outward things, but we want things to change internally inside, that process is always messy as well. It's messy to have a heart change done. It's messy to try and ask yourself the question, why do I keep doing these things? It's, it's hard to ask yourself about your, your addictions and your propensities and the things that you keep doing that you can't stop doing and those moments when you feel like you're covered in new you-know-what, and you want to get cleaned off and you want to change, but you're not quite sure how. Change is messy. And I think as we think about change, there's a couple different ways that people navigate change. And one way is kind of like with religion. And one of the things about religion is religion says you need to change before you're accepted. In other words, you have to earn your spot here. You need to clean yourself up before you can be part of this. But then there's also another mindset that says, you don't need to change. You're accepted as you are. And some people might look at their own lives and say, I was born right the first time. I don't need any transformation. I'm good the way I am. I don't need to change. The the, the challenge with that is every person I talk to that has that mindset, I find that they're not actually able to take an honest look at themselves or how they've hurt other people. They just want to be accepted as they are. And so one side says, you must change to be accepted. Another side says, don't worry about being changed. You're accepted as you are. But here's the thing. Jesus changes people. Change is messy, but Jesus changes people. This is one of the most distinct things we'll see as we read through the Gospels, is that Jesus changes people. He changes people. Little Wayne, the rapper, went to prison for eight months, and during that time that he was in prison, he read the Bible every day. And in an interview with Rolling Stones after he got out, he said, listen, I read the Bible every day, and the thing that was impressed upon me the most was that Jesus changes people. Little Wayne was quoted as saying, the Gospels were deep. I like the parts where some character was once this, but he ended up being that, like he'd be dissing Jesus, and then he ends up being a saint. That was cool. We think so too, Little Wayne. It's cool that Jesus changes people. When they're in their mess, when they can't do anything about it, when they need help, Jesus changes people. And here's what we're going to look at today, how he does it. How does Jesus change people? And there's really three things we see in this passage, that when Jesus changes people, he does it by embracing people in their mess. He embraces people, even though they're messy. He doesn't move away, he moves towards. But then secondly, he summons people with a message. He embraces them, but he summons people with a message. And then thirdly, he transforms people with mercy. 
So let's talk about embracing people in their mess. Now, in verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. At the tax office. In other words, Matthew was a tax collector. And while none of us really like the IRS, we have to understand that being a tax collector in ancient Israel was like being disliked on steroids. Because being a tax collector in ancient Israel wasn't just like you're disliked, it was that you were a traitor. And the reason they were perceived as traitors was because in God's promised land, the the empire of Rome had come in and taken over. And Rome ruled over God's people. They were the oppressor. They were the occupying force. And there was a group of people who said, you know what? It would be good for us to work for the occupying force. And so Rome employed Jewish people to collect taxes from Jewish people. So other Jews saw these tax collectors and said, you're supposed to be with us, but you sided with Rome. You're a traitor. But it just wasn't, it wasn't just that they were a traitor. It was that they were also highly dishonest and thieves. Now, they had regulations on what they were supposed to tax people for, but there was a lot of wiggle room. So you might owe $100, but a tax collector had the freedom to say, well, it's actually 120 And if they do that over a whole day, imagine how much money they can rake in when they are allowed to set what the taxes are. So tax collectors were actually quite wealthy. Quite wealthy because they were traitors, but then also quite wealthy because they were just plain dishonest. So they had a horrible reputation among Jews. They weren't allowed in the synagogue to worship because they were seen as breaking God's commandments every day when they went to work. Yet Jesus goes to Matthew while he's in the tax office, while he's in the tax booth, while he's in his mess. He doesn't wait for Matthew to come up. He approaches Matthew in the midst of the very thing that's most destructive and shameful and guilty about his life. Jesus moves towards Matthew in the mess. Now, there's a lesson right there for us. We don't have to go much deeper than that. Uh, Because as a church we can forget so easily that Jesus came to us in our mess. We can forget that Jesus came to us in the midst of our mess. We were living our lives not in line with what God said, but what we wanted to do with our lives. And Jesus didn't wait for us to get it all together or to even realize what we were doing before he came to us in our mess. And my hope is that as a church, we will never forget that. Because we have welcomed so many people who have come in and their lives have been messy. And we can too easily forget just because Jesus has cleaned us up doesn't mean that we're not a mess without him. So as Jesus embraces people in their mess, might we be a church that embraces people in their mess? Now, I thought about this. This is actually a really helpful mindset right now in our divided moment in our country. Because when we see people who we think are a mess, whatever that mess may be, we're tempted to not go near them, just like I was on that hill, right? 
But in our moment, we're invited not to just see people as a mess, but to see them as villains. Now, here's the weird thing about Matthew. He was actually a villain. He was a traitor. He was someone who broke God's command so he could rob you. But Jesus sees someone, not as a villain, but as someone who has made a mess and doesn't know how to get out of it. And so he approaches him in his mess. Now, what would it be like if we stopped villainizing people and just started to see their life as a mess that, where they needed help? Wouldn't we have more power instead of being bitter and angry at them just to go towards them in compassion like Jesus went to Matthew, like Jesus went to us in the midst of our mess? Because that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes in the middle of the mess to Matthew. But while Jesus embraces people where they are, he never leaves them as they are. Jesus embraces people where they are, but he doesn't leave them as they are. He embraces people in their mess, but he summons people with a message. And the message is simple. It's two words. Follow me. As Jesus went on from there, he sat, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. He doesn't say, Matthew, follow your heart, follow whatever you want to do. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me. But he also doesn't say, Matthew, why don't you consider if you have time to spend more time with me as Jesus? No, no, no. Two words follow me. Jesus embraces Matthew in the mess, but he summons Matthew with a message, and Matthew follows. Matthew gets up out of the tax booth, leaves his lucrative career, and follows Jesus. Part of the way that Jesus changes people is a process. And that process happens as we commit ourselves to follow him. If we are running the other way from Jesus and not following him, we are heading the opposite direction of change. But what we're invited to is a savior who accepts us in our mess but doesn't leave us in our mess. He summons us with a message that says, follow me, be my disciple. I know you're not perfect, but come with me and let's sort it out as we go. I am the Lord, I am the Savior, I am the King, and I love you. Follow me. Jesus summons Matthew into a relationship with him that is utterly going to change his life. Remember how I talked about sometimes people say you're accepted, but you don't need to change? Uh, Jesus says something different. Jesus says, follow me. And when you follow him, you're no longer in charge of your life. He lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died so that you could live for him. And the amazing thing is, is he doesn't expect perfection as you follow him. Every step of the way, he embraces you in your mess as you follow him and grow to become more like him in your life. But make no mistake, he is calling you to live your life in pattern after him. 
I mean, Matthew knows this. If you look through Matthew's book, Matthew's gospel, there's more red letters in Matthew's gospel than any other gospel. And the reason is, is because there's more teaching from Jesus about how to live your life in Matthew than any other gospel. As we said earlier, God has invited you to be part of his kingdom here on earth. And the way that you do that is by following Jesus. Jesus summons people with a message. Some of you go, I knew it. I know it wasn't really embracing people. I knew he was summoning people to a change. But but look what happens next. It really is both things at the same time because Jesus goes right back to embracing people in their mess. Verse 10 tells us that after Matthew leaves his tax booth to follow Jesus, he throws a party. While he was reclining, that's Jesus, at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Now, Matthew makes it sound like it's just a little hangout, but Luke's a little more honest. Luke's like, this was a party. Like when Matthew left the tax booth, he had a grand feast. If we go to the next slide, Luke tells it this way, then Levi, that's Matthew, hosted a grand banquet for Jesus at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table. Matthew is stoked that he gets to follow Jesus. And he didn't know what to do but have all his friends over and throw a party. Isn't that amazing? He leaves being a tax collector and yet he invites all of them over to celebrate that he now gets to follow this prestigious rabbi. But what's more amazing is Jesus' posture in the middle of that party. Um, It says that Jesus was reclining at the table with them. Now, the way that banquets would have worked would have been that the table was lower and you you would have had to sit on the ground rather than in a chair. And if you were really relaxed, you would kind of lie horizontal and talk to each other. And, And Jesus does exactly that because he's not afraid of getting in the middle of sinners and tax collectors' mess. He embraces them. He summons them with a message, but he then goes right back to embracing people in their mess. Now, we don't know if any of these tax collectors and sinners ended up following him. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But I think there's another good lesson for us there, that as people come and engage our church, whether they stay or whether they don't stay, whether they follow Jesus or whether they don't follow Jesus. I mean, we're going to tell them, you need to follow Jesus. But no matter what they do, we want to embrace them in their mess, just like Jesus did. This was so radical that the Pharisees didn't get what was going on. In verse 11, it tells us that the Pharisees pulled Jesus' disciples aside, and they're like, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. And, and of course, we're like, oh, boo, the Pharisees. But it kind of makes sense with their mindset once you begin to understand, because they believe that what they were doing as the Pharisees was prestigious. They were the cream of the crop. And in order to be part of what they were doing as God's movement on earth, you had to change. You had to change in order to be accepted. Not only that, you had to earn the right to be taught about God. So they think the best thing for Jesus to do is to get up and scold everybody. 
is to get up and say, hey, listen, you all need to get your act together. And so they're rightfully confused because these people are thieves and traitors. Yet Jesus is lying down, relaxing next to them rather than standing over them, teaching them. And it's very confusing. And the reason it's so confusing is because they're used to a system of religion rather than a relationship with the Son of God. See, Jesus embraces people in their mess. He summons people with the message to follow them. But he is ultimately the one who transforms people, and he does it with mercy. He transforms people by not giving them what they deserve. That is mercy. Jesus overhears what the Pharisees are saying, and he jumps in the conversation. Verse 12 and 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. There's a tension here. Jesus has come not for those who are healthy, not for those who have it figured out with God, not for those who have their relationship with God down pat, but rather those who would go, you know what, when I look at my heart before God, it is sick and sinful. But here's the catch-22 about that. The Pharisees would say, I don't need to change. I'm good before God. But other people would say, I don't need to change either because I'm good the way I am. But it's really the same thing. Both are self-righteous. But yet Jesus comes and says, if you can see that you're sick and sinful before God and there's nothing you can do on your own, I'm the doctor you need. Because I come, not with judgment, not to scold you about how unrighteous you are. I come to heal the sick with my mercy. With mercy. Not getting what we deserve. With, with mercy. In fact, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, what does it mean, Jesus? Go and learn what it means. Here's what it means. The Pharisees had this idea that their relationship with God was based on their outward obedience and their ability to obey a sacrificial system. And what ended up happening is they were following all the rules and the rituals, but they didn't have a true relationship with God. And the reason they didn't have a true relationship with God is because they really didn't realize that they needed mercy. Anyone that comes into a relationship with God will realize that God is holy and they are not. That God is whole and they are sick. That God is holy, 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 and we are sinful, sinful, sinful. Sometimes at our best moments, we don't even like God. How in the world are we supposed to change? Well, that's why Jesus came. Uh, Jesus transforms people with mercy because Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Luke will tell us, Luke adds to that what Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus isn't here to then say, you need to change on your own. 
Jesus is here to say that through my mercy, your life can turn around 180 degrees. You cannot do it on your own, but you do need to change, but I'm the only one that can change you. It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. See, Jesus' mercy isn't some abstract concept. His mercy comes through a relationship with him. Through a relationship with him. You want your life to change? Trust Jesus. You want to see your life transformed? Read about Jesus in the Bible and relate to him as if he's resurrected because he actually is. You want to see your life do a 180? Every morning get up and say, I'm the mess. Like I'm not just saying that. Like I, I, when I'm honest about who I really am inside my heart, I'm a mess. If you love me and you come to me in my mess, show me mercy. That, that's how change happens. I mean, that's how change happened for that little girl. While I was over pretending to do something else, her parents went and got real near, a little too close for comfort for me, but they cleaned her up as she sat there and cried. Didn't leave her to figure it out on her own. They showed her mercy. In fact, that's kind of what Matthew wants us to get because that wasn't just that little girl's story. This is Matthew's story. And let me state the obvious. If we go to the beginning of the story in verse 9, do you see what the very top says? Matthew 9, 9. And then as we read the first sentence, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And we read that, we're like, bro, that's you. You're writing about yourself. See, you see, this isn't just something abstract for Matthew. This is something that he experienced himself. And it's his story. And he wants it to be your story. The transforming mercy of Jesus. The story of being changed by Christ. A Christ who comes to us and embraces us in our mess and summons us with a message to follow him, but then transforms us through relationship with him and giving us mercy. What area of your life do you want to bring back to Jesus and say, I want to follow you afresh there? Maybe you're here today and you've fallen into religion, which is, I'll change and then I'll be accepted. Maybe you need to give that up and just go to Jesus as you are. But maybe you're here today and you say, I'm acceptable and I don't need to change. Maybe you need to see the sin in your own life and realize your need for mercy. But then run to Jesus, who's already running to you in the midst of your mess. Change is messy, but Jesus changes messy people. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.